On this episode of Quantum Week, January 4th through 10th, 1998. Quantum Week. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year, and we talk about movies and music and headlines and stories, and today we are in Chris's birthday week. Um, your birthday episodes, basically. Yes. Uh, January 4th through 10th, 1998. That's right. This is the week I picked because it's my week to pick. It's your goddamn week and you get to do whatever you goddamn want well, about I just it. picked the movies. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, we got uh, Good Will Hunting today, Titanic on Saturday, and then Jackie Brown for the Patreon show. So I think this is a pretty stacked week for movies. So it I was is. excited about that. Yeah, Good Will Hunting and then Been Around the World by uh, Puffy featuring uh, Biggie and Mace. Okay, and that's uh, today's show. So let's, today's get, show. let's get into it. Yep. Uh, so Goodwill Hunting. So I've been thinking about this long and hard, and Goodwill Hunting is the best movie we've covered. It's better than Pulp Fiction. It's not, but it's a great film. I love this film. It is a great film. It's, it's amazing. I'm it, having a hard time figuring out if it hits the top five. It's so close. It, oh, my God. Uh, I love this movie so much. Um, it's a great film. Yeah, I mean. But not the perfect film. Like, it's not perfection. I feel like there's I some think fuck it ups is. here. You think so? What flaws do you have in Goodwill Hunting? Flaws of the accents. Um, okay. So, <laughs> I, I, you I, ask I, it. I, all right. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fair, yeah, I guess. It should be fair. There's a couple, there's a couple, of, there's a couple, I guess, drops, but it's mostly pretty good accents. It's pretty good. Pretty good. But no, I mean, but it's not, it's not amazing. Let's talk about the good shit about this movie, though. I don't want to, I'm not dragging this film. It's a great film. Yeah, I love this film. This movie is, this movie is, uh, is perfect to me. Uh, it kind of it's it's hard to even like <laughs> this is tough. It's hard to even. I love this movie so much. It's hard to even talk about on some level because I think a lot of it is just when and this is like this is what's cool about the show is you know we'll talk about a movie that someone maybe really loves like I love Good Will Hunting. We'll talk about that movie and then people get really upset at us because we dragged the movie <laughs> or whatever. That's right. And uh, <laughs> but that's what's cool is like you know just the emotional impact because like I said this movie is I love it so much it's almost like kind of it makes it almost difficult to critique like i'm probably being i'm probably not being fair about it sure because i just care i i we talked about this a little bit in the patreon show with rocky uh rocky three and it's just like you when you love characters so much you care about them it almost you look past a lot of their flaws (laughs) and maybe that's not great for you know being a movie critic but it's just but it's how i feel it's how i honestly feel i was actually thinking about this a lot because so goodwill hunting deals a lot with genius and parallel relationships and stuff and like and and um and if if you're a part of what good is being a genius oh and comparing yourself to a genius like you've got uh you got jerry's character you know who's who's got that insecurity around i mean he's super smart at math but he compared to will he's he knows he's nothing like he recognizes this genius but part of but what good is genius without being able to connect with people and without being able to describe you know what you know and uh, and so part of like the genius of me in Rocky three in particular is, yeah, there might be flaws in the movie, but it's got so much heart that that it, it overshadows the flaws in the movie. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. Uh, yeah. And this movie does deal with parallels. It does. You a know? lot of relationship parallels. Right. Yes. Uh, and you have Chucky and Will, which is that. So that scene, let's talk about that scene. For a second. Sure. Uh, so the, the near the end of the movie, um, when Chucky kind of tells it's uh, the scene at the construction site. And he says, you know, my best part of my day is when I go to your house and for 10 seconds, I don't know if you're there or not. That to me is, is it might be my favorite like dialogue 
like scenes, strictly dialogue. We talked about favorite scenes before and like yeah. glorious bastards, that opening scene is yeah. just, it's, that's amazing. But as far as just dialogue, uh, that scene is maybe my favorite. Like it's like, it's very, like I get very emotional, like watching it. Oh, me too. I, I was like, you know, my eyes were welling up like a good portion of the, which is funny because near the end, like the last, the third act of the movie, my eyes are like welling up almost the entire time, which is funny because the first time I saw this movie, I was uh, 18. Yeah. Um, it was actually right around. I saw it pretty early in its release. Uh, I saw it in the old uh, uh, Tri-City Cinemas in Summersworth. Remember this theater in Summersworth? I don't think so. Um, it's, it's gone now. The building's even gone. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, um, and I saw it there and I loved it. I loved it right, right out of the shoot. I mean, I remember where I was when I saw it. I love it. Um, but I wasn't like, I just really enjoyed the story, but the older I get, the more emotional I get especially with the Robin Williams character with, oh my with God. Sean stuff. Yeah. And then with, uh, you know, with some of Will's stuff and the Will and Chucky stuff, it's like, you just see how much Chucky loves Will. And they needed a good way to express so there's a lot of uh, dealing with abandonment too. Um, in some ways, a lot of the characters were abandoned. Uh, Sean, uh, Sean was abandoned too. His wife died. Not it wasn't yes, like they right. left, but but that loss he's of abandonment. He's alone. And uh, and same thing with Will. It's, it's a little bit different with the abandonment because it was a violent background, and you know, and he it's some of some of the some of his relationship. A lot of his relationships is him, is him pushing stuff off. But you needed to show why Will would hang around these people like Chucky, and it's they're so loyal. Like there's so much loyalty there. And and so that scene had to, I am so loyal to you that I want you to do to, to better yourself. I want you to go away and be what you need to be because of, you know, your brilliance. I'm so loyal to you that I want what's best for you. I, I'll even give up seeing you every day. I mean, that's, it's an amazing scene. Super emotional. It's scene. super great. And super believable. Like you yeah. totally buy that this guy cares about this, yeah. about Chucky yeah. cares about Will so much. Isn't that what you want? Like in a pure love stand, stand, isn't that what you want for the people that you care about most? I want, forget about me. I want you to, to, to be the happiest that you possibly could be. Even if that means that I'm not there. Well, they talk about in the very next scene. Cause the very next scene is, uh, the scene where, uh, Sean, uh, Robin Williams character and, uh, Jared Lambeau, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who's amazing in this. Yeah, he's great. Um, uh, they have that argument and he's like, and he calls him, I'm going to use the word they use in the movie, but they call him like retarded gorillas. Yes. And then, uh, Robin Williams says, you know those like retarded gorilla, as you call them, they would take a bat to your head if yeah. he, if Will just uttered the word. And Lambo kind of laughs it off, but it, but like you can see the look and the eyes are everything in this character. Oh, God, uh, yeah. oh Sean's Robin Williams, what he does with his eyes here. He's is, never been better. He's phenomenal he's in this film. So great. In this I fucking movie. love him in this movie. Um, yeah, and uh, and you can see in his eyes that has so much more value to Sean. And obviously, you know, Lambo laughs it off because he doesn't understand. And he doesn't he'll never get it. understand. No, he'll never get it. Uh, no. And that's why, like, he, he, it's so funny because he was, you can tell he was so insecure. Um, you know, Jerry was so insecure about his intellect, intellect versus Sean's intellect, even though, and so, he, you know, he's achieved more and he kind of throws it at him, throws it at him, oh, you know, yeah. all, all, all movies. Throws darts the entire time. The entire movie. But he'll never understand the human connection stuff that Sean understands. Never understand it. In, in that scene, you, like, you, you see it. Yeah, like, uh, you know, Lambo values his whole life to this Fields medal. Yes. And he kind of laughs it off, but he doesn't really. Like, you can see, like, he's... And he, this is so expertly written that even when a character is being sarcastic, you know their true intent. Like, there's no, like... Because it's just such a... It, this, this script is just... It's, in, my, in my opinion, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect script. It's, it does everything well. It's, 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 it's flawless. It's so good. And, um, but Rob... But even he's... But even uh, Lambo says to Robin Williams' character... It sounds like uh, Sean was smarter 
was maybe better at mathematics than Lambo was. Maybe that's the case. I didn't I didn't pick that up from the script, but, but you could be yeah, right. Yeah, he says he's like, yo, you were better than I was, or you you know, is, yeah. you want the Fields Medal? Well, I'll go to I'll go to my house and I'll get it, uh, and you yeah. can have it. And uh, uh, but yeah, so but it sounds like Lambo's always been kind of chasing genius his whole life, and maybe he's maybe he is one, but or maybe he's the I think the idea of Lambo's character he's someone just on the precipice of it. And yeah. Lambo says it to Will at one point too. He's like, you know, only a handful of people would know the difference between me and you, but but goddamn it, I'm one of them, kind of thing. And uh, and and it's 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 great because you don't often see that a character in movies where someone's close to something great. Because usually we're just seeing great people. Or That's just, right. You know, amazing events. Yeah. And this character, this movie has a lot. Of that. It has someone who's very close to greatness, but it also has a lot of scenes where people are alone, like and just kind of bored or sad. Like it has a scene with Will, just kind of like just nothing to do. He's just reading books. But you can see yeah. he's like. He's just kind of bored. And then the scenes with uh, Sean at his uh, dining room table and he's just sitting there and you can tell he's thinking about Will and he's depressed, but he's, but he's alone. He's not talking to anyone. He's just sitting there and uh, you don't see loneliness in film a lot. I wanted to dislike Lambo a lot as, as sort of a villain in this film, but I couldn't help identifying with him. Like I know what it is to know. I'm good at a few things. I'm not, you know, genius level or whatever, but I'm good at a few things, but I'm good enough to know when someone is off the charts amazing at it. And I feel like that's, that's so hard to deal with sometimes. Like if I go watch, you know, I watch Stevie Ron, Ray Vaughn play, you know, play mm. live. He's dead now, of course, but play old footage of him playing yeah. or Steve I play or, or whatever. I'm like, Jesus, like that. Or even Eddie Van Halen, you see him play live. It's just like, I can't, I'll never ever touch that. But I know how, how special that is. I could totally identify with him. And to a certain extent, I mean, he did right by Will in a lot of respects in his own kind of broken way. Like got him out of prison. He was, and He was trying to was help trying. Will, but he was trying to make Will like a Lambo Jr. And Will has no interest in that. Exactly. I mean, that was and obviously Lambo the flaw. can't understand it. He doesn't have the ability to be able to see like someone has different wants and needs than I do. Right. Um, and that's why he never understands Sean. Yeah. Sean has different. Sean wanted a, you know, obviously got married and wanted uh, maybe a more domesticated life than Lambo does. And the Lambo is never going to get it. That's right. Did you, how did you feel about him? Did you, did you want to, did you pick, I hadn't seen this movie in a long time. And so in my head going in, I'm like, this is the villain of the film. He's, he's, not, like, he, he's not. He's not. I, I don't really relate to him a ton. I just not, this is not how I see the world. Um, the older I get, the more I really understand the Sean character more sure. than I did when I first saw it. Um, and just kind of like, un, you know, just, uh, I guess like what loss, like when I went through, I went through, I went through my divorce, like just kind of like that sadness and loss that kind of permeates. It's like, all right. And Will has like great lines. Do you want to put your chips back on the table? And like, you know, everybody who's been divorced, I'm sure is like had that moment. It's like, you know, I'm not going to fucking date again. I'm done. Like, I'm just, you know, yeah. I didn't really think that seriously. Cause I was still young enough and I still wanted a family. So I was like, uh, but there are moments you're like, fuck it. Like this just sucks. Like this, you know, the heartbreak sucks. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I don't want to fucking do this, do this again you know, go through this whole thing again. It's just, it's just, you know, you start, you know, he's like, it's going to take a year, you know, and just, it's just like, it's just overwhelming. And sometimes it's easier just to be sad. And you can kind of see that's where Sean is. That's why Will calls him out. He's like, you know, got to get back out there. Right. You can wallow in your, you know, being pathetic and sad all you want, but that's not going to get you anywhere. I do think that this movie, it's easier to appreciate with age um, because you just don't have the life experience to see the textures of it, to, un to understand. I mean, you had a lot more than I did when, when you were young, but 
But but for me, I, I yeah, I totally agree. Which I, is which is what makes this crazy that crazy. this was written by two guys that were not even thirty years old. He, I mean, he started writing it when he was in college. Yeah. I know it was different, but that was different. But, yeah, but yeah, he's 24, 25 years old or whatever at yeah, this point. He, and he they are he and being Matt Damon. Him, sorry, Matt Damon started. Uh, and yeah. Then, yeah, him and uh, I don't want to go into it because you can go listen to. It's sure. actually a pretty good. All right, as much as we trash the ringer, it's a really good interview. Simmons did about a year and a half ago with Damon. They talk about all sorts of things, including talking about a lot of goodwill hunting stuff. I would definitely recommend going back and listening to that. It's probably the only ringer, um, ringer plug you'll do. We'll do for a while, <laughs> but uh, it actually is quite a good interview. Um, but yeah, just quick, quick thing. They they uh, they got the script. Uh, yeah, he Damon had a, had a rough, very rough draft of the script. Uh, Affleck came in. They were both in Hollywood. They both new to Hollywood, trying to find any part they could. Yeah, they wrote this script. It had a like a spy story element to it. Yeah, where they were uh, they were being chased down by the NSA, um, and uh, it was. Rob Reiner and sounds like William Goldman yeah. both said you need to scrap that. Yep. Which was good advice. Castle Rock bought the script. Castle Rock did not want to make the movie with Will uh with I'm sorry, with uh Matt Damon. Matt Damon and, and, ben, and Affleck. ben Affleck. And um they said you have thirty days to find a new buyer or else we're making it because they already bought it. So yeah, like, they wanted they wanted Pitt and like DiCaprio. Yeah. Or, we're yeah. making it with, with different leads. And here so here is one point I did want to bring up. So and I guess it's my criticism of the movie. It's not really a criticism of the movie at all, but it's just a criticism of the reality of the movie being made. Without Harvey Weinstein, this movie is never made. It's true. He, there is 0% chance that we would have seen this movie in its current state. It would have been made with, right, probably Pitt DiCaprio as the leads. Yeah. Um, and it would have been a very different movie, but there's no way this movie exists in its current form. It probably would have fucked with the script too. There's n- unless, uh, you know, Ben Affleck's in a movie uh, doing Chasing Amy with Kevin Smith. They had done Mall Rats together. Yep. And Affleck went to Smith and he was like, he was in panic. And he's just like, listen, I have 30 days to shop this movie around. Um, if nobody buys it, you we'll know, Matt, it. Matt yeah. and I aren't going to get yeah. a chance to be in the movie we wrote. This sucks. And um, Harvey said, I, I'm sorry, uh, Kevin Smith said, I will march this script into Bob's office or Harvey's, Harvey's office. And, um, he, you know, and I, 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 you know, I don't know what he's going to say, but I will personally deliver it to him. deliver it to him. And they had a very good relationship because, you know, Clerks yeah, was one right. of the first kind of breakout hits for Merrimack. So, um, and then, uh, you know, Harvey Weinstein, his credit <laughs> read it, said, this is awesome. And he believed enough in, uh, Damon and Affleck stroked a check for like 700 K to pay Castle Rock back. Something like that. Or right, 600 K. I think it was 685. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and then they made the film, the film. Yeah. And Gave him a pretty good budget too. I mean, for a first. Well, that also was because uh, Robin Williams signed on. Yeah. So, and the other element of it too was, so quick snaps on the history. So this, they, so they greenlit the movie. Like, we'll make the movie. I think they had a smaller budget in mind. And then Francis Ford Coppola uh, hired Matt Damon to be in the Rainmaker. And oh. Damon called up Harvey Weinstein and said, hey, I just got the lead in a Coppola movie about a Grisham novel. And Harvey's like, all right, we're going to make this movie now. Cause it was kind of in development standstill. They I were see. looking for a director. And then, and then they, once that happened and then uh, it elevated it. And then once uh, Robin Williams signed on, then it just elevated again. It became a, a thing. Cause you know, he's coming off. He's a big name at that time still. Of course. Yeah. I mean, Mrs. Doubtfire and you know, it was only a couple years earlier. So yeah, uh, that, that's what made it. It was, this movie feels, it feels gritty. It does. And it feels like doesn't have a huge budget, which makes it feel authentic. But yet you can tell there were no corners cut. No, no, I didn't see anything. And Gus Van Sant does an budget. amazing job directing this. He does a very good job. Not a huge Van Zandt fan personally. Me neither. Um, He's but, got a couple uh, that I that I'm in cool with, but uh, but the, this this is his 
this to me this is his masterwork definitely uh i did see a recent film by him that i really liked don't worry you won't get by on foot with um with uh joaquin phoenix i haven't seen that it's good is it good yeah, yeah. i would recommend seeing it. well it's something we'll never cover yeah I mean, it probably made a hundred thousand or something right. yeah, yeah but yeah, it's yeah, a cool yeah. it's right. a neat film yeah yeah but no i agree and he's he's not usually i mean he made milk too i actually haven't seen milk i haven't um, seen milk either but this uh, that's surprising to me yeah um but uh I mean, he did. Pro- he did that psycho remix. A uh, remix. He did, uh, remake yeah, with, with Vince Vaughn. A shot by shot remake, which makes no sense. Just no, watch the original. I, I had a hard time. Uh, he, he's done something else that I've seen too. But yeah, I'm not. A, he did my own private Idaho, which I haven't seen either. Um, I saw it, but so, it was so long ago. Yeah. I don't. I don't recall. But no, this is his. This is definitely. You know, this would be his Hall of he Fame. Did he did a movie called Jerry with uh, yeah. Matt Damon and Casey Affleck, where they're in the desert. It's terrible. It's, but it's an experimental film. It's not supposed to be like a great, you know, it's, it's a, they're pushing limits and doing some different things, but right. it doesn't quite work. Yeah, no, this is the best thing he's ever, he's ever done. This is, like, this might be my favorite movie. Like, uh, Godfather's favorite movie. This is my, this might be like my number two favorite. Like this, I, I'm like, I love this. I'm just, I watch him. Like, I just love this so much. And I don't get me wrong. I mean, I, you know, I love, Pulp Fiction. You know, look at the other movies we have in our top five. Pulp Fiction, I, Road to Perdition. I love Road to Perdition. Sounds um, of Lambs. Sounds of Lambs. Those are, those are the top three that we've yeah. really covered. We, you know, go, I have Ghostbusters at four. Um, this just speaks to me so well. And I am a sucker, you know, if you've listened to the show long enough now, I am kind of a sucker for some of these more sentimental or more tugging your heartstrings kind of movies, especially the older I get. Yeah. Pulp Fiction doesn't really have that. No. And it, I'm not saying it needs it. It shouldn't have it if it's not authentic. Um, but uh, it, it's it's missing something there for me with Pulp Fiction. I guess uh, very lightly missing something. It's just I'm having a harder time connecting to it the older I get. Well, it's hard time. It's hard to connect to any of those characters. They're they're not like those aren't those are but even they're the almost story like superheroes. And but. the pacing, not even the character. I don't need to connect to the character. I don't mind seeing odd characters. I need. I'm having a hard time connecting to the emotional tone. It's not. It's almost like I'm kind of. I almost feel like a little bit like I'm aging out of the movie to some extent. And it's the number two. These are movies I've seen, you know, del- I've seen Good Will Hunting. I see, I, go, I watch Good Will Hunting almost every year. Yeah. And I've seen Pulp Fiction, you know, 50 times, whatever. Um, so, you know, there's also that element where it's not like I'm seeing these movies the first time. Right. I'm losing that. I'm not having that same buzz or excitement that I had walking out of the theaters when I saw Pulp Fiction. I was, walk- I felt like I was walking out of cloud. I was so excited. Yeah. Um, but it, the older I get though, the harder it is to kind of just I said, connect to the, to the, what the director is trying to get across. the, the mood of the movie, the sure. feeling of the movie, the the heart of the movie, you know, everything that movie is in its bones, not just the characters, but, and not even, it goes beyond the script even. It's just kind of like what this movie is supposed to make you feel or how you're supposed to feel about this movie. And I'm having a harder time connecting to a Pulp Fiction. Well, there's a lot more heart. That's a fun movie though. That's a fun it and is. funny and whatever. That, that's not what this is. This is a, this is, this is, yeah. I. This is much more of an emotional journey. It is. It really is. And I'm yeah. finding that I enjoy that more in movies the older I get. Which I, I don't know if that's that. good or bad. I don't know. If, I don't know. If, I don't know what that means. Well, I just think uh, that's probably a pretty normal process with maturation. Like you, you, you start to, yeah, you start to want to explore that when you're, you, f- you have a better um, vocabulary for understanding uh, depth of, of emotion. Like emotions are just one thing. You're never just angry. You're never just sad. You're never whatever. There's, yeah. there's, there's layers to it. And so as we get older and we start to understand those layers better and have a vocabulary for it, we can, we can, um, I think we can, we can do a better job connecting with films like this and understanding them. Whereas Pulp Fiction isn't that. It's not like layers of 
of and complex I, emotions. And I love Pulp Fiction. I love I, it. I, no. I, it was before, no, it's my favorite movie. This is my favorite movie we covered. I mean, it's still yours. It's it still my favorite. Like. Yeah, it's my favorite. Um, so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not bashing at all. I, and I, I just kind of feel, you know, I like guilty about this take uh, because when I saw Good Will Hunting in the movie theaters, I had just seen Pulp Fiction a few years earlier and seen it, you know, since mm. then. I never once for a second walked out of the theaters after Good Will Hunting and thought, Pulp, this is better than Pulp Fiction. Yeah. But I feel that way now. And it's like, all right, so, you know, what is that? Am I, am I, am I evaluating this correctly? Am I being fair here? You are with your, your 40-year-old eyes. I mean, this is, this is uh, well, birthday week, 41-year-old's eyes. Yes. <laughs> aging, you're aging in front of us here. <laughs> but that, that, that makes complete sense. I mean, we, have, we connect it to all art differently depending on where we are in life because we don't have the... They talk that that's a lot um a lot about this this film too. Is is you have Matt Damon who's a genius, but he doesn't have the life he has a he has some life experience and some really terrible life experience, but he doesn't have the same life experiences as Sean does. No. You know, he's gone through a lot of different loss and love and all those things. So he he's got a perspective on these things and a humbleness about this thing these things that that Damon doesn't have. I mean, the same thing with us to a certain extent. We we connect to things differently because of the, you know, the the emotional understanding that we have based on our experiences. So uh, that makes complete sense. You should change. I think you probably should. Your favorite song when you were 25 shouldn't be your favorite song when you're 45 because it, it, it's different. Yeah. You, life's you, different. you do change. Yeah. Right, let's talk about, I want to talk about some of the things with the eyes in this movie. Oh God. Um, so this movie, and this is another reason this movie is such a fun rewatch is that not that there's subtle things because there aren't a lot of subtleties here, but the, the, it's that the movie is so rich. There's so much in it that, that, uh, so let's talk about the eyes thing. This is what I'm talking about. So there's a great scene where uh, Will brings uh, Skyler to the bar with his friends. Yep. And they're all telling stories. And Ben Affleck yep. tells a great story about his uh, his uncle who got busted for, almost got busted for Dewey, but got away with it. And Skyler starts to tell a joke. And as she's starting to tell the joke, it shows Will's eyes. And Damon does an amazing job here. And you can see kind of like a flash of panic. And he's, he's panicked. In, he's embarrassed. Yeah. He's embarrassed for her. He's embarrassed what his friends are going to think about yep. him. And we've all, I don't, I mean, anybody's felt like that with, you know, maybe the first time they're starting to date somebody and they bring them to people they care about. And it's like something just doesn't, might, might feel a little off. And yeah. you feel like you're being judged and they're being judged and everybody's, and you don't know. It, it's just, and, and, and he's such a bright guy where he's, he, you can just see the, it's, it's a great, it's a great, uh, showing of emotion in this really bright guy, not having control of the situation and panicking. And it's a quick shot of his eyes. And then the joke, uh, Skylar tells ends up being a good one. Right. And, um, you can see the relief on his face, but there's really no reason to put that shot of him being embarrassed it doesn't because the joke works. So you don't really need to show that except to show the richness and uh, like emotional feeling of this character in this one situation. It has no real payoff. There's no real need for that. There's no need to show that, to show that shot of him no. feeling that way. That scene in general is amazing because Ben Affleck has the same experience. He's telling the joke and you got Casey Affleck fucking like asking him stupid questions that are embarrassing and he gets a little embarrassed too. Get, yeah. They're all They're like, all, right. You seeing that dynamic is it's an amazing scene. They all have that. And it's great. And he's like, Ben Affleck's getting annoyed with Casey yes. Affleck's character. And, uh, and Casey Affleck, by the way, pitch perfect in this role. He's like, he's, he's so good. The younger like, brother. Yeah. yeah. He's just, he's not, he's not really the younger no, brother. No, but that's, but that's he, his, but he's, but he, right. He might role. as well be. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he, he's, he's, he's so, he's so good at antagonizing in a way that it would, that feels realistic. Yeah. It all feels so real. 
But that one shot of Damon's just looking embarrassed, though, it's like, oh, this is why this movie is so rewarding to watch over and over again, because it's little things that maybe you kind of forget about or things you kind of want to kind of just think about more. And this movie has so many parts like that where these characters are so well-defined by the script that when they're reacting in a certain way, emotion, you totally believe it. And it's, and there's so many emotions and things they're reacting to because you have the parallels, you have the Sean stuff, you have the Lambo stuff. They're each going through their battles. You have even Chucky stuff to some extent, but you obviously have all the will stuff. You have the Skylar stuff and it, this movie somehow makes it all work in two hours and six minutes. And it's, it's just, it's, it's really is cinema perfection for me. I really love this movie. Yeah. I love this movie. What, did really you, what, did, what was your take on how about like uh, with Sean's eyes? You see the uh, pain that's, in that's, his that's, eyes. That's, I mean, he is, he has never been, I love Robin Williams. I'm a big Robin Williams guy. Um, I just think he was super, super talented and he's never better than in this film. He is. He's just, just like the humbleness and sensitivity and melancholy and hurt and pain. You can't like, you just believe him, but yet he's willing to extend himself. Yeah. He's willing to put his heart on the line, at least for this kid. I mean, at the end of the film, he says he's going to go out there again and experience the world again, but, yeah. but he was still willing to have connection with this kid who really needed him. I mean, so you see, you see the bravery there too, that he experiences. He's his eye uh, like, yeah, he, he floored me. I mean, he's, he's amazing. He doesn't really, except for that scene with the Lambo, he doesn't really yell, but in those scenes with will. Oh, and the first one when he strikes out, he doesn't even yell. Like, yeah. And he he's like, you know, well, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And he had, yeah, he has kind of his arm against his, he's got, he has, he has, he's, his he's, 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 he's actually yeah. physically choking him. Uh, and, uh, but he's not yelling at him, but he's you, not. but it's all in his eyes. Yeah. So intense. Actually that, that's an amazing scene too. Cause right, be- right before another great job by Matt Damon, where you, you're, he's looking at the camera, he's looking out the window and he's not looking at, um, at, at Sean, um, who's behind him in the room. And you see, as soon as he mentions something about, he's like, he's, he's picking, he's trying to figure oh, right. out what's the, what's, the, what's the button, what's the button, what's the button. As soon as he is, he mentions the wife and, yes. and, uh, and Sean reacts. He, he's like, got it. Like yeah, he knows. He has, you see a little shit eating yeah, grin. Like yeah. you see his tiny he's like, grin. He's like, Oh God, I got it. Got it. This, that's yep. the button. And then he, and then he picks, 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 picks until, yep. until he gets uh Ron Williams to react. It's, it's fucking awesome. The acting is phenomenal in this film. I mean, Matt Damon could have been, could have had a shit career from here forward. And he, this, this would have been enough. Like his, this is just a, an amazing job by him. Well, that's a good question. And this is, I, I debated doing this game. And I'm like, there's so much to talk about this movie. I won't, but I do want to do this game one day of who had the better career, Damon or Affleck. But we can get into that, you know, another time. Yeah. But um, because it's not as close cut as you might think. I think it's well. I think it's Damon by a mile, actually. It's personally. Damon, but not by a mile. You don't think uh, it's by a mile? No, uh, because you take all of it in. You got the, you know, Affleck has also, you know, won a Best Picture of something he directed. That's true. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. It's 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 not it's not as it is Damon. I yeah. Mean, Damon started a franchise with the Bourne stuff, and and you know, he's just a better he's a better actor too. Uh. Yeah, I like Affleck. Too. He is a better actor. He's I, a better actor. I, I, I think Affleck. It's a really short, short. Stick I know. Stuff I know. It. Hollywood kind of beats him up, and but he's and he's good. Like I really like. I like Ben Ben Affleck a lot. I really like him. But uh, but I think Damon's better. Like you think about even Damon in Talented Mr. Ripley, um, or you know even like later stuff, The Martian. He's great. Like there's just, he's just done a lot of. He's got. A, he's really talented. He's really good. Yeah. So the, the good news is they are working on a movie right now that they, they are. Wrote. They wrote together. Yes. Holy and shit. And Adam driver's in it. Um, yeah. Shit. And it's in production right now. So I'm really excited because I've been waiting for them to write something together again for they've written anything together since this. And, uh, what well, makes sense. Their careers both took off. I mean, 
It does, but you think they would just get, you know, get the band back together a little bit here and write a script. I mean, you know, but they, they didn't for a long time until until recently. So yeah, I'm, cool. I'm really excited for that one. Um, I think Mini Driver is, we she's haven't talked about her yet. You know, phenomenal in this film. She's so good in this. Yeah. And we did, we've talked about now her three movies. Um, uh, Sleepers. Yep. Uh, Gross Point Blank. And, and this. And this is kind of the end. This is where it kind of ends for her. And she, and it's just kind of, she got kind of done dirty a little bit by Matt Damon. He broke up with her famously, like on an Oprah episode. And she found out about it, like watching the show. Yeah. It's, he, it's, it, that's he, shitty. It, it, and he admits it. He's like, yeah, you know, I it was fame got to me. Yeah. Um, it got a little bit, uh, I think they were kind of, you know, this is when this whole goodwill hunting sensation took off. Cause they started dating on the set of this. Yeah, and, that. um, and then, you know, by Oscar time, when they had been crowned the princes of Hollywood, you know, it, it was over for him and Minnie. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, uh, Affleck obviously went and did more of the action movie stuff. And Damon immediately followed this up with Saving Private Ryan, which right. is, you know, a, a supporting role in a Spielberg movie, which is, you know, a smarter choice. And Affleck, though, wanted to go and kind of cash in on it a little bit and went and did like an Armageddon kind yeah. of movie, you know, um, which you can't really begrudge him for, I guess, but. No, he made a shit ton of money, and it probably it opened up a lot of doors. And he he actually used it pretty well. Like he's done he's done some great films. Like he you know you think about directing I mean, Argo and being an Argo and, and you know, town and the town exactly Gone Baby uh, uh, Gone Baby Gone was he in that too? He directed it. Oh, that's right. Jesus, that's a great film. Yeah. Uh, then Gone Girl too. He was in. I mean, he's 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 done some great stuff. So probably wasn't that. I mean, you're young and you're like, well, I should set myself up. I mean, I can do more. Right more I mean, um, you, you know they're, they're you know it's tough it's tough to say no i'm sure if they're dangling a yeah. giant paycheck in front of you and right. you know five million dollars will get me and affleck talks about in that bill simpson interview like they were ball living in like some guy's apartment like you know before <laughs> yes. this you know uh, damon had just gotten courage under fire and the rainmaker so damon's yeah. career was and uh affleck had just gotten chasing amy yeah so their careers were starting to take off but like a year before that they were all in like some bungalow and like you know some right. shitty part of california you know outside of hollywood and it's like you know it wasn't too long ago where they were like wondering where the next check was going to come in. They would talk, Damon talks about it. like, you know, we're getting residual checks from like, you know, Rudy or something like school ties. Sure. And you're like hoping that can last you, you know, the check you have for that movie, hopefully that can last you for to your next thing to your next thing. You're kind of just like, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. And then, you know, so when, yeah, I'm sure when Michael Bay says, Hey, want to do Armageddon? It's hard. To, it's harder to say no potentially. Yeah. But course. Damon's credit. He did. He didn't see, he did say no. And he went and did more. And he had a great, I mean, and he still did big movies and all the born stuff must've made him a shit ton of money. I do. I know this week, you know, we're doing, um, you know, Good Will Hunting today. We're doing Titanic uh, Saturday. So I kind of probably do more Oscar stuff with Titanic on, on the Saturday show. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and then we're doing Jackie Brown on the Patreon show. Um, but, uh, you know, there isn't a ton of Oscar stuff with that except for, you know, Robert Forrester. But, right. um, but I, just, I did want to talk about some stuff that maybe is relevant to Good Will Hunting. Sure. So let's pretend we live in a world where Titanic never happens. Like, you know, it, it had been in, you know, production hell for a long time. We'll talk about that on Saturday and stuff, but let's say that movie just never comes okay. out. Whatever reason does goodwill hunting win best picture. I say, yes, should the other thing that maybe would have not that it should have, I think it would have the other movie that maybe I stole it would have been like as good as it gets. Well, that's what I'm saying, but this is a better fit. Well, I think it's, yeah, I think this is better than, of course this is better than as good. We, I really o- like that. Would Oscar, I think, I think Oscar would have smiled favorably upon goodwill hunting because it gave it the Oscar for screenplay. That's right. Yeah. Even though you got Jack Nicholson and yeah. you know, sort of that, because uh, it seemed content giving but, Nicholson the Oscar for actor, and I think right. Hollywood would be like, okay, we're okay with that. And I think if Titanic never comes out, I really believe Goodwill Hunting wins Best Picture. Yeah, because what were the, uh, the other ones were um, the Full Monty, Full Monty, right? Which is L.A. Not. Confidential. Okay, that's the other hard that one. That could have stolen. And I, I really do, love that film. And obviously, you would have needed a fifth 
with Titanic being gone. Sure. But let's assume that was, you know, say Jackie Brown. Right. Which, I, it, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't. Probably uh, wouldn't have won. Whatever the fifth one wouldn't have won. But, I don't think you know so because I mean? we would it already would would have already been in the discussion. So yeah, because not only is this a great film, ty- that's the other thing. Titanic and Goodwill Hunting did make a shit ton of money in the theater, so you know had a lot of it buzz. Did. A lot had of people lot of were out there. Whereas Jackie Brown probably right in the do fifth movie. Well. You know, I said I guess said, w- 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 there's a reason it wasn't. I in, think in, it probably would have. So here's the other. Here's my other point to Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, winning, and this kind of takes. Uh, so the director, James Cameron, went for Titanic. Yep. Uh, Peter Cataneo for the full Monty. Yep. Uh, Goodwill Hunting, LA Confidential. But then Adam Egoin uh, nominated for The Sweet Hereafter, which, uh, which means that As Good As It Gets didn't get a director nomination. That's weird. So obviously this happened with Argo. Argo yeah. won Best Picture, but very rarely does a, a film win Best Picture and not get a director. A director yeah. So that tells me it really was between Goodwill Hunting and LA Confidential then. Interesting. I really love it. Like, it'll be interesting to go, but hopefully we will we'll go back. Yeah, because yeah. I, I haven't seen it in forever, and I'd love to compare. Um, but I really love that film. Um, so for best actor, we talk about Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting. Yep. Um, or and, Jack Nicholson. And Jack Nicholson won. He won. He wants. Um, but I think Damon's better in this. I really like him. me. Probably. It's hard. Nichol- I haven't seen that in forever either, but Nicholson was great in that film. Dustin Hoffman was nominated for Wag the Dog. Not that he was going to win, but it's just true. interesting that. Yeah. Uh, because we talked about Hoffman's kind of career, kind of, and in the Patreon yeah. uh, with the outbreak. Right. Um, best supporting actor, of course, Robin Williams wins. Should. Uh, his, his only Oscar. Um, he's just magnificent. In this. I, I, he's so good. We're going to we'll talk I more know. about this. The, I we know have your this heart hurts you on this one. <laughs> on, on the Patreon show because Robert Forrester for Jackie Brown. Who was nominated, and those are two of my favorite supporting actors. I do say after watching this though, yeah, I haven't done the Jackie Brown rewatch yet, but when it's going to be really hard. I know. I, mean, I, rewatch it, but I haven't watched it. I mean, this week um, for the show, it's going to be really hard for Forrester to stack up against. I'm I mean, su- I'm surprised you didn't put uh, uh, Robin Williams in your like top five characters ever. Oh, Sean. Sean. I do love Sean. He's so good. I do love Sean. Another one nominated too is Bert, we talked about Boogie Nights, Burt Reynolds and Boogie Nights. Right. That just shows you how screwed Burt Reynolds is because you're going up against. I mean, and Burt Reynolds is really good in Boogie Nights. So we good. talked about how great he was. Yeah, but it probably, he's so good. But he's, he's not, amazing, he's but he's not. He's nowhere near as good as, as Robin Williams in this movie. No. Um, and it did win for screenplay. So um, also not a screenplay was as good as, a, I'm sorry, uh, this is for original screenplay. Original, yep. Um, uh, as good as it gets, uh, Boogie Nights, which has an amazing screenplay. Deconstructing Harry by Woody Allen and then The Full Monty. Um that's, that's so which tough. screenplay is better? We'll, we'll play that game. Goodwill Hunting or Boogie Nights? I think Goodwill Hunting because Boogie Nights didn't even make your top five. No, it's not my top five movie. It, it yeah, made, but, that it, but it's a it's full getting knocked off my. It was my fifth. It's getting knocked off now. Yeah. Um. But it's yeah. So when we do our top five, it's not just it's not just the screenplay though. It's it's, it's everything. It's the acting. It's all that stuff. It's the of cinematography, yes. right? So I think this is a better screenplay. I think Goodwill Hunting's better by than Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is awesome though. That's, which movie do you like better? This will be further up. This might hit. This might be my sixth. I'm not quite sure. This might hit the top five. My problem is that you know, if I'm, I don't want to knock off No Country for Old Men. That's a hard one for me to knock off. That's that's a really hard one. So wait, what don't you? So you said you had, so throw some critiques at me. I, I want to. Oh, no, I want to bash you. I a little bit. think. Um. So okay. The the other films are prettier films. Yes. So that carries some weight for me. Pulp Fiction's um, not prettier. It is. I mean, it's it's gritty, but it's it's very interesting the way that he that he films that. 
Oh, it there's, is. There's yeah, no in the, this film. It's not like that, and I understand it's not supposed to be yeah, like that. Right. You're not seeing, you're not seeing iconic shots in this film. It's not about that. It's about the character development and these and these parallel relationships all over the place. So that's where I think maybe that's the. It's not really a criticism. This is a great film. It's just though No Country for Old Men is beautiful. Road to Perdition is beautiful True. to look at. Right, those yes. two. Yeah. And then uh, so though that's why those are better. And then uh, and 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 then with Pulp Fiction, I just I do think the screenplay uh, that's a better movie to me. It, it it's hard to Pulp Fiction has. Ugh, Pulp Fiction has the best screenplay ever. Yeah. Pulp Fiction screenplay is better yeah. than this. And I then mean, when we're talking Silence of the Lambs, which is also beautifully shot and just a crazy, just amazing actor. I, it, it can't. I wonder how much of Goodwill Hunting, though, you don't appreciate because you've seen it your whole life because you've lived in New England. So oh, like it could, Boston, totally could Boston be. Boston stuff doesn't appear to be that. Yeah. Like Bunker Hill Community College, like you knew it existed before you started saw this movie most likely. Yeah. So like, all right, I know that, you know, it's kind of a eh, college, you know, and I love that Sean's there and I love kind of how it's shot and then contrasting to Harvard or MIT. It's, it's great. Right. It's great to see that. Yeah. Um, but like you know all these places. Like it's you've true. been be. to bars like Chucky and Will go to. And also just the way it shot to it's drearier sort of than those other films. Just it with is. the color and saturation and all that stuff. And so I shouldn't really negate how good this is directed, but I but there's an emotional attachment that I have to how pretty those other films are. I mean, there, it was a delight to watch those other films. You know, not only are they riveting with the screenplay, but like watching Road to Perdition is like, how do you you know it's 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 gorgeous. All right, so I have a question for you. This is hard. It's I love this film. I I think Ben Affleck kind of got screwed a tiny bit for not getting a supporting actor nomination. It's yeah. tough in this year. Like we've talked about, it was super stacked. But I think Ben Affleck's better in this than Burt Reynolds was in Boogie Nights. Oh, that's a tough one. Like even when he's like he like in the beginning when you're introduced to him, they're at a bar and he's like he he's going over to like hit on Skylar. He sort he, of shimmies. He kind of does this yeah. weird dance. Right. Like that's how guys like yeah. him, they, like <laughs> and uh, the scene obviously with him and. Uh, Dane might be my favorite scene ever. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so, so great. And then the scene when at the end when he realizes Will is gone and he he just gently smiles and it is it is so powerful and he's so happy for his friend and he's and it's even the comic relief when he does the job interview. He does yeah, with, the, <laughs> with the like the high pants. It's the high pants. <laughs> he takes like seventy dollars from these guys and walks he out does. or retainer. <laughs> it's just it's hysterical. Like that's he. It's really it's he. Everything he does in this movie is done to perfection. And um, it's, really I, it's funny because this new movie they're doing, I guess Damon and Driver are the leads, and once again Affleck's in a supporting role. He's good about that. Like he's good about not having to be front and center. It He's works so much better with Damon being the genius. I think so. Yeah. Cause they, cause after this too, remember Damon does rounders, which is a great movie. I really yeah, like that movie. I like one. that movie probably too much, but yeah. it's a movie that really speaks to me. One. I really love that movie. Two and, good actors um, there. But he's a kind of a genius, it's a different kind of genius, but he's very bright in that movie too. And he kind of goes down this road. Even the Martian, he's kind of playing a genius. The born, the born, born character. I mean, even he, though he's he super smart. He plays intelligent. He does. Like really well. And I'm not saying Affleck doesn't, but Affleck has kind of this like, like look at the Gone Girl. Like he kind of has this like, he, he can be a little bit dupey. Yeah. Yeah. Dupe, like, yeah. Like, like he's always, yeah, maybe like a half step behind or yeah. a little sluggish. He, he plays and that And he's better. not that in real life. You no, see him in real life, guy. he's actually really sharp. He's really funny. Yeah. Um, But in movies, he's a little bit. The other thing too is the draw. The other thing is uh, Matt Damon is more caustic when he's a smartass, whereas Ben Affleck is more jovial when he's a smartass. So that works better for. I think that it, he, 
Affleck wouldn't have, or uh, Damon wouldn't have been as good in the Charlie role either. Chucky role. Chucky role. Sorry. Ugh, no, he wouldn't have been. So I think I think that makes sense. And I don't think the Affleck. And the other thing too is I like the fact that it's a small thing, but um, Robin Williams and Matt Damon are roughly the same height, and Matt Damon oh. roughly the same height. Where like it would have been weird for. It would have been weird for Robin Williams' character to be more aggressive to Ben Affleck's character. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I guess it just would have been a little bit odder. So on the um, on the supporting actor thing, you also have to put you'd have to put Affleck against um, against Robin Williams, and I just think I there's, no, there's no and, contest there. And that would have been bad too because that might have split the vote. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's probably better it worked out that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would have been bad. Maybe Robert Forster would have won for that. That doesn't sound bad at all. Another thing about this movie, I could talk about Goodwill all day, but just like these little touches that are rich. So, um, uh, that great, every scene, I, I know I'm sorry, that great scene, every <laughs> single scene is that great scene, but I love this movie so much. Um, so, uh, Sean is in, uh, tells the story of, uh, how to see about a girl, about the yep. cotton fist coming. And, um, there's an overhead shot of uh sean excitedly he tells the story in such a great way too it's such a, oh so excitedly talking about carlton fisk home run and he's running around the bases and, he's yeah, like, yeah. and uh there's an overhead shot and the four chairs are lined up in a diamond like a baseball and he's oh, yeah and they're basically bases and he's running around them. little things like that yeah. it's like little touches that you maybe i know i didn't recognize the first time i saw it yeah having subsequent viewings and I kind of enjoy every time I see it and how, and that's the way that story is told is so well. And I had to see about a girl. Like it's, it's great. It's and you buy it when Damon leaves to go see, to go see Scott. I totally buy that. He doesn't want to do this like shitty McLean job. There's Who poor would? people at McLean, by the way. I they know, interview Ben Affleck. It's the same, <laughs> and then they hot, they finally get him and he ends up bailing the job like a day into it. Yeah. It's just, Fuck them. I guess. Fuck him. Right. <laughs> yeah. That scene is so amazing too, and you and as I think actually that's you something that's uniquely Boston too. We really identify with the story of the Red Sox up until then because they hadn't won a series like that series was so important to yes. the to the Red Sox too. That was the best moment of the you know pr- pr- of the, the, those fifty years year or something yeah. like that. But you know until two thousand four, so right. I kind of recount two thousand four in a similar way that nineteen seventy five would be recounted to people who are a generation older, right. right? It's that saying you could totally identify yes. with. Yeah, it's, I love that film. That's a good film. It's really good. It's a great, it's, it's the best movie we've covered. Um, I don't care which one it is. You could be a person that loves the fly. You could be a person that <laughs> loves identity. You could be someone that loves Ghostbusters. I don't care what you say. Goodwill hunting is better than all of them. Better than all of them. All right. Um, shall we, uh, shall we move on? Yes. Oh, I do want to, sorry. One more thing about that. Elfman does a fantastic oh, job. I have another thing too. Fantastic job scoring that film. One, and, um, yeah, and we and, have to talk about Elliot Smith too. Don't forget. Yeah. Which, yes, of course. Um, right. But Elfman is very, it's, like he is so, I always loved Elfman because he's so um, odd and peculiar when he does scores. Like he does the sit, the Simpsons, uh, Simpsons score, do, 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 that theme song and a lot of the Tim Burton stuff. So like he very, Batman, oompa, yep. oompa, 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 like a lot of sort of circus freaky kind of music is his theme is polka type music where this isn't that at all. It's very, it's, it's beautiful and subtle and Elfman just does a fantastic job with this. And then you're right. Elliot Smith, um, which, uh, contributed this to the back end of it. That of course is uh miss misery, which was um, nominated for an Oscar. It was, and it's good. It's, it's good. It's good. It's, it's, 
I so he actually had uh, I believe five songs uh, on the soundtrack. Yep. Um, I found myself listening to that a lot more than I did the song I was supposed to listen to for the show. <laughs> um, I did listen to it as well, but I, I found myself keep going back to Elliot Smith uh, the last couple of days. Um, so yeah, Danny Elfman. So a quick thing about Danny Elfman. It's so funny. We we did Fast Times pretty recently. Yep. On the show, and uh, Amy Heckerling, the director of Fast Times, had a really had her basically like. Uh, make a lot of concessions in Fast Times to get Oingo Boingo right. on the soundtrack. Yeah, Elfman's band. Because um, the studio was like, fuck, who the fuck? Oingo yeah, who's Boingo? Oingo Boingo? Yes, please put in regular music, please. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why that Jackson Brown song got in there. Oh, I think because they had to make it, because I don't think, I don't think she wanted Jackson Brown in there. Um, so then, uh, you know, Elfman becomes a, like you said, a, a incredibly famous yeah I, I really do think it's because probably because of, almost more uh, because of burton i think it's because Absolutely. you know he did like all this edward scissorhands it's just amazing and then well and even uh, the simpsons was pretty early yes. right it was like 88 89, or 89 yeah, 80, so yeah so he did that i mean which is just an amazing piece and, and how and you're exactly right this doesn't sound like Elfman. no it doesn't he's so good there's a few that he it's taken like his range is really phenomenal he's a he's a really great writer he, he's so good and um so I, I completely agree. The score is very emotional. It's yeah. very good. And also for some reason, I think it works really well with the Elliot Smith stuff. It does. Yep. Like they, it sounds almost like a sister or a cousin song uh, without sounding like it's ripping it off. It's actually a really, it would be interesting to know if he knew going in that Elliot Smith was going to be because, because if I, you know, if I were Danny Elfman and I knew that, okay, this is the, the music that they're going to pick for it. I would, I would have adjusted I'm my score. he did. And here's, so some of those songs they used for Elliot Smith had already been recorded for other out, like, Yep. Some, there's Miss Misery was written ex- exclusively for Good Right, Hunting. but some of the other ones but were from... But the other four, some of them had already been out yeah, there. Yeah, right. Um, Elliot Smith, I know Ward in the North, he, he, uh, he's a huge Elliot Smith fan. Yeah. Um, I really like his music. Uh, he has... Um, oh my God, what's the song they use in, um, in uh, uh, Royal Tenenbaums? I won't uh, um, I wouldn't remember. Look that up. Yeah, it's a, it's a, he, there's a uh, scene with Luke Wilson kind of he, he's yes. gonna kill himself. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, a, that's one of the most powerful scenes. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, he's looking scene. in the mirror, shaving. And yes, it's, it's, this is playing over. It's his crazy. Top and he it's, shaves his head, fantastic. shaves his face, and then he's yes. about to cut his wrist, or he does um, cut his wrist. It's he crazy. Does cut his wrist. Uh, the Elliot Smith for me, I I do enjoy. I think he's very tragic situation. Stabbed himself in the chest twice. And Needle died. in the hay, by the way. Needle in the hay. That's a good one. Um, but I like his who his, his influence was Nick Drake, who I love. Nick Drake is one of my favorites all time. Uh, early seventies um, acoustic player with a, with a very like that Elliot Smith's style is because of Nick Drake, Nick Drake, um, very comp like complex, um, beautiful, amazing music. But, but Elliot Smith is, is good in my book too. Yeah, I like, I like Nick Drake. Yeah. Um, and I get that maybe Elliot Smith is might be some sort of version 2.0 of him to some extent. Oh, and it, I don't, and I don't no, That's not a knock. It's just, right. that was his tree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I think Elliot Smith to me is a, is a better listen. Um, even like now I get, I get Nick Cave was, Nick Drake, or Nick but, Drake yeah. excuse me, was more innovative. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, but uh, L.A. Smith stuff really just it does it. It just really and a lot of it is probably a connection to this movie probably. too. Honestly, that makes sense. Yeah, and like that I, time I had never heard of him before this movie. Um, and then you know this came out, and um, but I still every time the songs come up in the movie, and even after the movie, every time I hear a lot of this music, I do think of of this movie, or I hear you know, hey, and I think of Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Um. It's funny that his his songs work so well in movies, or maybe his songs just work so well they also happen to work in movies. He's really talented. I really like Elliot Smith. He's talented, yeah, and this a very good so writer. Rich, like it has the Elliot Smith stuff. Like I know what a the bonus music. that is. Like, I know. That's like a. You're you right. Know, it's, it's like icing upon icing upon icing on the cake. Like there's so many 
things about this movie that are so rich and so rewatchable. I, I, I don't know. I could go on for days. Compared to it. something like The Departed 2, where, where we're looking at the relationships between the main characters and their mentors, basically. Like that, yes. that parallel relationship is so beautiful. But it's so well done. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's beautiful. In no, but it, but it's like it's 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 amazingly done. I say beautiful yeah, is like it's, it's good. It's it's good. Some of this stuff doesn't work for me as much, but okay, whatever. But you compare that. Yeah. Versus the, this isn't just like the parallel of two characters. This is a parallel, a parallel of of relationship upon relationship upon relationship upon relationship, all with different oh, areas of damage and and stuff. It's this. It's yeah. It's a lot of layers. The parallel in the part that works best for me is DiCaprio and Damon. That that's those, true too. That, that yeah. parallel to me works better because. I don't think Nicholson sells it as much. And then Sheen's character has so many different motives. Yeah. I guess it still is a relationship. It's just so, it's yep. so dysfunctional, so fucked up that it's like, it's, and it's so built on manipulation. It's hard to really stomach it, but I guess it is a relationship and it's well, it's well done. But I those guess. are more, those are more black and white where this is like, these are just a spectrum of relationships, and, you know, some and, dealing with loss in and different there's no ways. Real bad guy. You say like no. Lambo, Lambo, I guess is the heavy in this movie, but he's not a bad no, guy. No, I, I have, I have way more empathy for him this time around. I love even seeing how characters in this movie. I know we're going along. I'm sorry, fine, but I could, I could go on for days about this so movie. Fast forward. If you don't want to, there's, listen. um, there's the, 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 the character, the way they perceive the world. So you have Sean and Lambo at the bar. Yep. And even the way they talk to the bartender and how annoyed Sean oh, gets I know. that. And that's another thing with the eyes. How annoyed Sean gets that Lambo is kind of talking down to the yes, bartender. He does that. Sean is so disgusted by Lambo in that moment. Yeah. And that's their whole relationship crystallized like that. Exactly. That scene in the bar. And no one's fighting, really. No one's really arguing. They're just having a discussion. But it's just like, oh, God, can't you be a human being for once? The script sets us up, too, because before that, we see Jerry, uh, we see Lambo um, going to like the, the mechanic area of the school, and he ta- and he talks yes. down to them, too. And, then, and so <laughs> it sets you up to that point where you already know going into that bar scene that you, this guy talks down to people. It's great foreshadowing. Absolutely. Or the way he treats Damon, who's a, you know, who's because he's in a janitor outfit because he's a janitor. Yeah. Like, don't touch those things. You know, people were working on it or something. You know what I mean? Like you have no business doing that. It's like, fuck you. I love this. Yeah, it's a great part. I love that. Uh, I love that. I keep saying all that scene. I'm sorry. I, I do. I, I, it's, it's real. It's, it's honest. Um, right. When Lambo sees the, Mc, uh, the Mc, uh, I'm sorry, the custodians and he goes in there and they're like, basically go fuck yourself. Cause he's such an asshole. He's such like, an asshole. He's like, this is professor Lambo. And the other, this is professor Mason or something. The other, the, uh, right, the right. Custodian right. Yeah. introduces his and buddy. He's custodian as a <laughs> like, professor. We don't give a fuck. Yeah, asshole. we don't care who you are. Asshole. Oh, uh, so okay. So <laughs> I do have one light criticism about the, about this movie. Oh, there you go. Very light, and it is in that bar. Is in that bar <laughs> scene, which is is so good. Um, I don't believe for a second that Lambo wouldn't know who Ted Kaczynski, especially in 1998. There's no way he wouldn't know that. That scene plays better now in yeah, 2020 it than it does in because ni- in 1998. In fact, when I was doing the um the headlines. It was Kaczynski's on trial. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is no, right he would in the middle of it. He would have known who. Because when was that? When was that? That was ninety five, wasn't it? When the bombing happened? Yeah. And yeah, he, he was would in the news for like three straight years. No Bullshit. way. Yeah, he would have known. Yeah, that was such a great parallel too of of Sean saying, "Yeah, a gen- another genius." Like, he, right, right. He, see how course, it can go bad. See how it can go bad. Yeah. Like we need to treat this kid right. well and not force him into a decision because what if he fucking uses his in- he he sees only negative, only negative. He uses his super genius to fucking destroy people. Yeah, because that, that's what can happen. Yeah, we want to make sure he's yeah he's right in the head. Such a good movie. Fuck. Good hunting. The best movie we've covered. You're pu- yes. Say that in the, is, is you have to say Goodwill Hunting is better than Pulp Fiction. Oh, you, okay, you want to cut the hair? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Goodwill Hunting is better than Pulp Fiction and Poseidon. <laughs> 
I'll, I'll end the episode. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Do I get a uh, Thank you. Yeah, it's way better than Poseidon, of course. Um, yeah, it's a great film. Really great film. I don't think it. Cra- I don't know. I don't know. It isn't crack your top five. That's that's really stupid. I don't. Way. It's not stupid. W- stupid. Come on. <laughs> the top three we agreed on until just no, today. I, no, I. These, we're talk- I will say the movies we we've hit a lot of heavy hitters. <laughs> so I mean, it it was it's. Like it's like this is gonna knock Boogie Nights out. My Boogie Nights is one of my favorite movies. I know. Like Boogie Nights not even in top five anymore. I know. I, we, we've uh, walked out. We have another great one on set on uh, on the Patreon show with Jackie Brown. Jesus. And maybe you're gonna love Titanic. Who knows? <sighs> oh yeah, maybe, 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 maybe. Okay, shall we? Uh, shall we finally move, get there to pour, move on to Puff Daddy's waiting patiently? You got it. <sighs> Sorry. This is the puppy. Yes, it is. Get excited. He thought it was David Bowie for a second. I know, I know. Not Lust Dance. <sighs> All right, so this is uh, Been Around the World by um, by Sean Puffy Combs. And the family, really. The family, the family helped out here. Oh, yeah, this whole album. Um, so we did talk about this album before because one of the other ones. So uh, ben, uh, ben Around the World is hit number two because we already did number one, which was Candle in the Wind, which was, you know, number one forever. So Puffy Combs didn't, couldn't get past that. But we also, we hit this album with, um, it was, I'll be, uh, Can't Nobody Hold Me Down. Yes. That's the one that we did. Yep. Uh, which also, so that hit number one, but also I'll be missing you and all about the, it's all about the Benjamins. Those other two tracks hit, I think number one or two as well. So this album had four number one, number twos and was his breakout album. But he, but really he did it with a bunch of other artists. Like they're, you know, Buster Rhymes is on it. Mace is on it. Biggie's on it. Um, Nile Rogers uh, uh, from Chic is on it, which we'll talk about him in a second. There's like, it, it's like a stacked album for him. Yeah, Puff Daddy. I mean, Sean's Puff Daddy Combs. I don't know what we're going to call him this thing. Puff Daddy Puffy, Puff, I guess. I don't know. Oh. Uh, his biggest contribution to this album, it really is just the, the pr- production of it. Yes. See, yeah, that's, that's, that's really his best. I mean, I think. Yeah. This song isn't, I don't really like this song. It's fine. I, don't so really, I had the single. Did you? But he, I didn't have it for this song. I had it because the single had three different versions of It's All About the Benjamins on yeah, it. Yeah, I, I read that. It had the rock remix, and I loved the It's All About the Benjamins rock, re- rock remix. I thought it was a mm. great song. Next time, tell me to pull that, because I'll have it to play it, too. I, I didn't think about it's that. It's not as great. Oh, you, like, listening back, it sounds great? Yeah, it's okay. I, 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 At I the listen time? to it. It's fun now, but it, like, in, like when this, in this moment in time, yeah. like, I really like that song. Yeah. Well, this song is basically based upon one other song, and that's Let's Dance, which is what I started with. It's a David Bowie song, of course. Yes, it is. Um, and that Puffy does something interesting. So here's the Puffy version again. You can tell it's slower, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's actually a pretty interesting thing because when you listen to the Puffy version, so so they took the Let's Dance. There's a lot of Let's Dance. Um, Let's Dance on this uh, on the song is basically that. And so they so Puffy slows it down, and when he slows it down, something really interesting happens. It gets really herky jerky because you know when when Let's Dance was in '83 or '84, people aren't playing to click tracks then. They're not playing to a metronome. They're playing to a drummer um, and they're not using digital recording where you can snap things to a grid and make it perfectly 
in time. So Puffy's got a drum machine, but then you got these, these Let's Dance sample happening over it, slowed down, and so you can hear the imperfections all over the place. It's really herky-jerky sounding because the distance between the notes being played in that sample um, are not consistent. They're pro- they're, it's imperceivable, pretty much imperceivable if you listen to the original because it's at a speed that makes sense and they're used to playing it at that speed. But when you slow it down, you hear it like it just it jitters and juts around, um, which is, I think, a very cool feature to uh, to when you sample and slow things down because you can hear like the humanity in mm. there, particularly when you have it against something locked in like a like a um, like a like a drum machine, which Puffy does. And it's cool because you, so to do that, so you have to chop it up um, because you can't let it expand or contract in terms of time too far down the line or the song, it won't make sense against the beat. Like it'll start to be, oh, now it's one beat slow or two beat slows or three beats. And, and then it won't make sense against the song. So you have to chop it the right way to make, to make it make sense. But within that, say eight bar phrase that they chop up, it just, it, it moves, it, it sort of, you know, the time kind of stretches in between there, which I, I think is neat. Um, and rap starts to do that more and more, um, as time goes on, like, you know, um, yeah, as time goes, people start to appreciate sort of the, the, the non, the the humanity part of it, like dragging stuff back. And, uh, so, and even you can start to do like, uh, digital recording becomes so powerful that you can easily do that too. Like it's easy to set stuff in a grid so that it's right directly on time, but it's also pretty easy to move like note by note, a little bit behind or a little bit ahead. So you can really start to, to f- so everything's still in time over the course of the song, but just in between stuff is where you start to feel those stretches. And it makes you feel a certain way. Like it can definitely make you feel off balance, which I think is a neat, a neat feature. But the thing that I like best about it is that sample. I mean, I love less. Do you, do you, that period yeah. Bowie for me. So, and like 75 through 85 Bowie to me is my favorite. I love that's golden years. And, um, yeah, and pretty, this, yeah, I don't think it's a very hot take. It's no, pretty, but, pretty, but I don't like the Ziggy Stardust stuff. Um, I like it. Ground was, control. You don't like, uh, maybe, uh, I just, nah, it's okay. Or suffragist city's okay. Like, I like it. yeah, the, I like those, those are good. I, I mean, yeah. I, so let's dance. Whenever I hear it though, I think, uh, so TV 38 back in, uh, in the late eighties, like 87, 88, that was the intro to Red Sox games. What, that, was it really not the Bowie lyrics, but just what you played? Yeah, yeah, just the, that intro. Yeah, and that's how. Uh, Is that what it was? Yeah, for like one or two seasons. I don't remember that yeah, at all, and any, I know any, I was watching. Yeah, it was definitely like it wasn't the Nesson broadcast. It was definitely the TV. I don't think TV thirty eight had the Red Sox games. Oh, for years. That's so crazy to me. Oh, I for used like many I, years. I would come home after school and watch cartoons on TV thirty eight. Sometimes I would have like He Man on. That's crazy. Well, yes, that, they had during the day. I mean, it wasn't like a sports. Station. No, but it's crazy. They had to the me. movie off with Dana Hersey too. That's right. Yeah. That's so crazy. I they, just forget. They, they, it was just programming. That's not it's crazy. Programming. Yeah, but now we have actually devoted sports. Well, it's, the world changed, yes. But uh, yes. <sighs> it's fine. To, it's interesting like, no, to think back no, to that time. But it's not crazy. <laughs> but it's just weird to use it because there were no, I mean, other than ESPN, there were, but there yeah. were no regional, like even like, you know, WGN Chicago had the Cubs games, but they also had, like I said, cartoons and stuff. Right. Um, TBS, probably the most famous example, had the Braves, but oh, then yeah. also had yeah, like yeah. Mama's Family, you know, reruns, whatever, you know, <laughs> beforehand, whatever. But no one had all sports. But that's still, what ESPN, I but guess. But even, even by like early 2000s, it was Nesson, right? So oh, you, oh, you still had, actually, did, I, should, I lied. So uh, around late 80s when Nesson popped up, but Nesson basically just ran Red Sox and Bruins games mm. and they would have on like a morning show, 15 minutes hosted by for 15 minutes, by the way, not one five hosted 15? by a guy named Bob Rogers. And they would just repeat 
Rob, Rob. Over and over. And, and Bob Rogers did play. I played with the Red Sox a little bit, like when certain oh. guys could make it. But um, but Bob Rogers would um, uh, yeah, host this morning show. And it was, it was actually really good because it was just facts. There was no hot takes. No, yeah. It was like, here's what happened. Uh, it's called Sports Desk. And it was, um, and it was, yeah, every 50 minutes, it would just reset. It was actually, I used to watch it all the time when, in the 90s. Um, That's fun. But, uh, next, so they would rerun that? They would rerun like, it all morning. So from like 6 to like 10, it was just Jesus every Christ. 15 minutes was a Bob Rogers clip. And then from like, say, 10 to the Red Sox game starting at 7, like in the early, in the late yeah, 80s, yeah, yeah. it was just like infomercials and like That's just so garbage, trash or nothing. Or just, it was just, it was just, you know, it was back in the 80s, cable was like a TV, like wasteland. Like, yeah. I remember before Nick at Night, Nickelodeon would stop airing. So at like 8 o'clock, they would go off the air. Yeah, they would have a show uh, called Danger Mouse. Oh, um, I love Danger Mouse with a British yes. mouse and a, and a toad that he's like his friend, right? <laughs> Danger Mouse and fucking Banana Man. Yeah, banana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. So then after that was at seven thirty, I believe, and I think at eight o'clock is when it went, you know, it went, went off air until like six in the morning. And you went with um, was a pinwheel was their morning show, right? Pinwheel. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going by memory. So if I'm off, so, I apologize, but uh, yeah. So from like you know eight to six, there was. And because they, they didn't know how to monitor, they didn't know what they were doing. When, and then they're like, then someone Nickelodeon was very bright. was like, we can get these TV reruns. shows. Oh yeah, but we get these shows for fucking like cheap as yeah, shit. Star 54. I mean, yeah, Car, Car 54, 54 you, Mr. Ed. Donna Richo, Mr. Yeah. Ed. Like think about what they originally started with. It was all these like, you know, really early shit. So like, we can get this for fucking like nickels and a dollar. And they just threw on a bunch of trash. And even then. I watched those. Oh, I too. Yeah. And, but it was from like, but even then it still went off air at midnight. That's fun. And from midnight to six, it was dead air. And then it went with stuff. So I bet Nesson, when they first started, was a lot of dead air. Fucking banana. When Eric eats a banana, he becomes banana man. No, oh, you like Danger Mouse? A British Christ. comedy for you there? He's the greatest. <laughs> Whenever there's a problem, he'll be there. He's all excited Danger, Danger Mouse. Mouse. It's so <laughs> funny that it brought it up. There you go. Jesus Christ. Nicole, so yeah, so, uh, so that, whenever he lets dance, I do like <laughs> that dance. song. It's, yep. good. it's a good song. But whenever he lets dance, I always think of uh, the Red Sox. Yeah, that album's great. Modern Love is uh, one yep. of my favorite. It's a good song. Baby, uh, uh, Bowie, Bowie, Bowie tunes. It's great it's 80s got, pop. Yeah, gr- uh, China Girl on it. Let's say, well, the thing is, he hates this time, or he hated, he's dead, but he hated this time period. He called it his Phil Collins phase. Oh, really? He yeah, he didn't oh. like it because he felt like he was getting too out there and he needed to reinvent himself. So he, he like, he started to do more pop, like pop stuff. Well, it's very corporate. Very corporate. But, it's but still it, good though. It's amazing. It's awesome. And if you think about it in turn, like in retrospect, it's amazing. I mean, you have nothing to, he would have nothing to be embarrassed about with this, with this time period. It's awesome music. One of the things that I really dig about it is he found... The guitar player, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Wow. They were both playing uh, the Montreux uh, Jazz Festival in Switzerland, and um, and and uh, uh, Bowie saw Vaughan play with, with his band Double Trouble, and he was blown away. He was, like, fucking floored. I love Stevie Ray Vaughan. He's one of the best guitar players. He's, he, like, people say, oh, Eric Clapton's a great guitar. No. Stevie Ray Vaughan smokes Eric Clapton. He smokes Jimi Hendrix. He is like one of the best guitar players. He's better. I hate to say it. He's better than Eddie Van Halen. He's a better guitar player. He's a phenomenal guitar player. It's just in blues, which is not my favorite thing, but That's I'll the watch. Thing is, I don't like- but I'll, no, but him, what, like watch all you out there. You want to see Stevie Ray Vaughan rip the face off people. Watch live at El Combo. He is fucking phenomenal. He's on fire. He's, and he sings like he's a great singer. He's a, he's a, it's a three piece band with double trouble and he's, they are awesome. Anyway, so, so far in this segment, we've talked more about uh, Bob Rogers and Nesson, 
David Bowie. Buck Puffy. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Well, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> so, so, uh, right. <laughs> well, I told you the I mean, most. I some, some, like, some guys like, oh, wow. I, I, thought, I, I love my, Puffy. This is my favorite song. I love this song rap. so much. I know. And, and we end up, you know, yeah, talking about get, Danger Mouse. We have to talk about what's interesting to us. So what's interesting to me is the sample and David Bowie. And find, so he finds Stevie Ray Vaughan. Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, there he was a. He was famous in East Texas, where he was from, and around Texas playing blues, and he was highly regarded, and you know, this, this guy can play, but not on a national level. It wasn't until, um, it wasn't until really this song that kind of broke him, and then, and then he was playing you know, large festivals and selling a bunch more albums. But Stevie Ray Vaughan, he didn't know, like, this is very, you listen to the solo on the song, on Let's Dance, it's like, it is, there's not much to it. He didn't know what to do. I remember him talking about it. He's like, I, I is this pop. I never really listened to David Bowie. It's because it's just not my genre. Um, so I didn't, you know, he was really nice to me and I, you know, I came in, but, but I, there's, it's a very like low key soul. He's not like ripping. It's not like when, when Eddie Van Halen goes and plays fuck on, uh, uh, what was it? Billy Jean or, um, all oh, whatever it's, I can't, one of the Michael Jackson songs. Yeah. He just rips the fucking, on, yeah. Yeah, leather off the baseball on that one, but uh, he, it just, you know, it's a very subdued, doesn't sound like a lot of Stevie, his tone does, but it doesn't sound like him playing. So that's interesting. But, um, but <laughs> anyway, I, uh, the, that's the stuff that's interesting for me. But we'll, we'll, go, we'll, go, we'll go back to it. So the other thing is, <sighs> it's interesting to me that, uh, that Puffy is using this time period of music too, because and particularly the song let's let's dance like this it's a it's it was a it's a pop dance tune but he also has Nile Rodgers produce this record do you I mentioned it before Nile Rodgers is famous for the best guitar comp that's ever been played it's good this is uh, Good Times by Chic, his band, which has been sampled. That's like every rap tune from the early 80s. So Nile Rodgers also produces this record. So this is like this, this, mm. like this, you know, this yeah. dance kind of God. And early, um, like he, so he would have been genera- generally, generationally, you know, the generation before Puffy is when he right. was really important in rap. But, but Puffy, fi- it's like, okay, we're going to get Niles to produce this one, this, this dance record using Let's Dance the Song and having... Jennifer Lopez do a dance in the video with him at the end of the song. Yes. Yes. No, that's true. Right. I, I, I was thinking too, like, you know, with Puffy also was like heavily, I wonder if he was cool with Puffy being so involved with the, a lot of the producing elements of this, of this record. He, he probably was because his star, like he was, so during the disco, he was Nile Rogers is very like disco time period. And then the David Bowie, this album is sort of post disco. I mean, you know, it's very poppy and still danceable, but like you think of the song Modern Love is like a very danceable song, but it's kind of post disco right on that other edge of it. So, and then you think about Nile Rodgers being so important in early 80s rap being sampled for for like party rap music and how, you know, rap developed that way. It's yeah, so but his star had sort of crested. Like he was yeah. on the other end of that career. Um, so yeah, you're probably right. He was, he was, he was probably more into letting Puffy do some stuff, but it was cool that he brought him back. It is cool for, for yeah. this and I, using I, all this I like, like post this album. I, I, I mean, I don't listen to it a lot now. I know you in being the Patreon show, you think I go home and listen to Puff Daddy music when I go, I know home. you do. You smoke your dube and not, not, I've never smoked anything. You never I, smoked your dube. I've only smoked cigars. I, uh, I, I don't, uh, but I, for what this was in its time, I enjoyed this. And it, I mean, I went back and listened to it. 
again, um, you know, last night, I'm like, oh, all right, you know, this is, this is fine. But I did enjoy this at its time. Yeah, it's okay. I just don't like his rapping very much. No, he's not like, He's rapper. just a very disaffected yeah. rapper. I don't feel like he's got a lot of um, enthusiasm. I mean, when that's he does why it. he brings in the family. He has to. The family helps. Yeah. The other sad part is Biggie died like a couple months before this album went out and uh, maybe two or three months before. And, and then Puff, it kind of, Puffy works with, with Biggie a lot on it and was like, what are we going to fucking do now? Yeah, I mean, I'll be missing you, you know, uh, right. is a tribute song to him, obviously. Right. So he had to like change a bunch of shit because yeah. of it. And, and you've got Biggie on this track, which it must be, must, must feel kind of weird for, for Puffy yeah, like after think, he was think, gone. Yeah. Um, and of course, oh, uh, uh, Biggie sings this. They don't use the sample, but they use Biggie singing the, right, the, the yeah, yeah. Singing, yeah. Um, that was the other, the other part of this. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's probably what I got for for the song. It's you know, it's yeah. all right. It's, it's, we already we kind of already covered a little bit. A yeah, lot of it. Yeah, we did. Shall we move on? Yes. So uh, what I was doing? Yes. What were you doing? So I um I actually had a pretty like nasty vendetta against um Goodwill Hunting during this time. I didn't see it right away. I had a buddy. I would have hated you so much in college. Who was infatuated with Matt Damon to such a degree. That's all she would talk about that. It soured my feelings. So this is a lady. Yeah. Okay. I, I, had a, I had a pretty close friend group. My first um, two years of college. This we, is what's known as the glee dorm. This is the glee dorm. People. <laughs> yes. We'll need to make a t-shirt. Uh, but uh, yeah. So a very close group of friends that we all, we, we were an ensemble and we hung out all the time and there were, it was uh there were, there were, it was male and female group. I'm not going to get into specifics cause I don't want to name names. No, 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 no but, fine. but the one in particular who I care about, I care about this woman very much. She's um, uh, brilliant in many ways, but she was infatuated with Matt Damon All right, and just like, would Good not looking guy makes sense. I guess. Right? But also no, but him like kind of coming a little bit from obscurity to write this masterpiece. And I mean, I, I get it. And yeah. she just really looked up to him and she wanted to be an actor and all sorts of stuff. So and it, it made a lot of sense, but that, but there was so much of that. Like it was nonstop. I, I was like, I'm not watching this. So it wasn't until a few years later, but my, my story takes place at this time period. And it's when I tried mescaline for the first time. Oh God. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I had no drug. I was like, I didn't call myself this, but I was straight edge growing up. Like I didn't want any, I didn't eat it. Like I didn't want, I didn't drink alcohol. I didn't, I probably similar to you. I, think. I didn't do much. At all. I didn't do much of anything. I at didn't all. smoke weed. I didn't yeah. try any drugs. Same, same thing. Yeah. Nothing. People, people would call me straight edge once in a while, like to yeah. mock me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And I, it was weird that when I got to college, I had that idea. Like I was a straight laced guy. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I can hang. I'm, I'm with it. But I, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I use those words. They would, they would put that uh, tag on you. I'm born away. <laughs> I can, I can hang. I can hang. Right, kids. <laughs> But, uh, but it, it was, I mean, I had a little, like right after I graduated high school that summer before college, I think I drank a little bit, but not a lot, just a little, a couple here, beer and hair, but pretty much. That's kind of I, where I was too. I laid off it. And I wasn't, my freshman year of college, my roommate was not like, you know, fucking, you know, whippets and a lot of, a lot of fucking weed. He sounds like more fun than you. He, he's actually a really good dude. I, yeah. I, I'd love to reconnect with him. It doesn't matter. We won't, we won't talk about that, but, um, wonder where he is, but uh, I smoked a lot of weed and a lot of people in my dorm smoked a lot of weed. Glee dorm. Oh, you, no. you might imagine. And I wasn't opposed to, but I just never did it. Didn't really care. Um, but we got to the point probably midway through uh, my, my freshman year. I did. I like it. It took me like five or six times to smoke weed before I felt it. And then we, my buddy had this water bong called Dr. Funk. And that was the, that was what did it for me like five or six in. And I had such an amazing experience when I finally got high. That first time was an amazing experience because it's not, 
it's kind of rare. Um, uh, marijuana isn't like psychedelic, but I was getting visuals. Like I was seeing stuff that wasn't there and the huge endorphin rush and I was playing music and it, it was a very amazing experience. Um, so I liked, I liked weed, but it wasn't until that summer when I went to my second of two fish festivals that I tried mushrooms for the first time. So that was my first psychedelic experience and I had a few, but then, um, <laughs> so in 98, uh, <laughs> when, um, I had a buddy move into my dorm and we were experimental. And so we decided I, he came up to me and he's like, do you want, should we, should we try mescaline? Cause we, I'd had mushrooms and whatever. And I'm like, sure. And I didn't really know what it was just that it was a derivative of peyote. Mescaline is pill form peyote, which is a mushroom. Okay. Um, I'm like, sure. Why? I, I'm, I'm surprised like how, uh, adventurous I was about this shit back then. But I guess that's what happens. Cause I wouldn't be, there's no, you can't, if you, the next time you come, you know, you come next week and you're like, Hey Matt, should we try mescaline? I'm going to, I'm going to say no to you. Okay. Just All fair right. warning. Good to know. Fair fucking warning. Never. Yes. That sounds terrifying. It was, yes. it, I would, I, w- I would have said no back then. I was that kind of person. I would not have. Well, you had your, you were fine with your alcohol. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You didn't try any. No, you haven't had any. I'm not sure if you, I'm asking you personal questions, but no weed. Then no, no the gummies I had recently were the first time I ever really tried anything that was like, you know, a drug or whatever, you know, what you're going to call that. Um, sure. No, I, I, it always seemed like too much hassle. Like, like I'll just go get drunk and that way I'm not going to get in trouble with comp. You know, like I'm not going to get, see. you know, I don't need to go try to find it and find someone who's selling it. Right. And all my friends like did, you know, would do, would do stuff and like, they have to deal with these drug dealers with like these losers. It's like, who wants to fucking Yeah. They're not all this? like that, but uh, you know, you can find some, I'm sure there's some great drug dealers. There out are there, some, but, well, think about the people who are cultiv- who are, who are growing their own no, weed now. Like they're farmers. I know marijuana is way different than like, you know, other stuff. I get it. But in the time, especially in like the late nineties, like you got, you get in trouble. You, you yeah, get some agreed. serious reper- repercussions if you get caught with it. I'm like, that's just not worth it. I'll just get, I'll just drink. And at that time we were in the, so uh, psychedelics were widely researched through the sixties, but then a shift happened in public policy and they were really demonized through that. It wasn't until more recently that psychedelics have been sort of, okay, we should study because they, there are therapeutic benefits to psychedelics that that um, other medications that we have right now don't have. Plus, there's no lethal dose that we know of of, of some of this material. You can't le- you can't lethally overdose on mushrooms, as far as we know. There's no there's no lethal dose yet. They tried to kill an elephant with it and couldn't do it. So so anyway, but at that time, like you're right, this is like seen as shady, and we were told, you know, um, you'll fry your brain and you know, use your brain on drugs and all that. By shit. The way, but if you want to kill something. I would probably kill a smaller thing than a larger thing. What I mean is they... Like, I would try to kill like a, tried a many, small creature as opposed to trying to kill a large creature. Maybe you should stop doing the drugs and reevaluate how they're doing these things. <laughs> there's no hu- lethal dose known to man for, uh, for a human either. Right, but for, then I would then assume there's nothing for an elephant. I would probably then try to do like a, a little like, you know... I don't know why they did that about, on an elephant. Yeah, maybe they, they probably... Oh, I think, I think elephant kitty. might have been a, a mistake by you, potentially, right? They're, they're, I didn't do it. They, this is a scientist who did it. Drug addict scientists, idiots. So, uh, let's, let's, so kill, let's kill the largest thing we can find. So when my buddy comes to me and is like, Hey, do you want to try mescaline? I'm like, what the fuck is that? Oh, uh, this, maybe this is the same time. I heard, I wonder if it was when I heard a fear and loathing was mescaline too. Mm-hmm. They were on mescaline, like the whole movie, um, in liquid form, but this, so this is a pill form. So, um, sure. Let's try it. And like, well, what are we going to do? Cause I was a little worried about being fucked up in public. Yeah. So we decided to hang out in his room and we would play music in this glee dorm. Yes, in the Glee Dorm. Oh, God. Um, and okay. uh, <laughs> so, something else. So we took the, uh, I probably like 11 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. We took the pill, um, took about a, probably about a, a, a good hour to really kick in. 
And we just, we were hanging out, listening to music, playing music, whatever. And we had people sort of come in and out the room throughout the day. Uh, it was one of the most experience, intense experiences of my life. Heavy, heavy visuals. So um, you don't, it's not like I'm, you're seeing things that aren't there, but it's not like I'm seeing like a, another, like being that's not there, but more like time shifts. I don't know if you ever, it's almost like if, if you were to take rapid pictures right after each other, like pick, pick, pick. And that was your vision. That was how I was experiencing time, like all sorts of weird time shifts. And my, the way that I was experiencing reality was in like these snapshot after snapshot after snapshot, plus these like really rich colors, a lot of red. I remember going to the, like the bathroom in the dorm um, and going in there and, and you know, it's fluorescent lights or whatever. And the whole room is like bathed in fucking red. I was like, what the fuck? Um, it was so, it was, it was overwhelming. Like at some points I had a hard time talking. Like I'm not, I'm not there. Um, and then I had buddies who were like fucking with me. I had a buddy who liked to fuck with me when I was high, which sucked. I like this guy. I had to have a, I had to have a conversation with him afterwards. And like, oh, you know, imagine this. Maybe we shouldn't hang out oh, when I'm high. Oh God, get lost. Fuck off. No, like fuck. Mm, no, those things can go bad. Don't do mescaline like an idiot. I'm, I'm going to fuck with you. Do mescaline. Or do mescaline and don't hang out with the people who are going to like hang out with. with no, it, I think it's interesting to have those experiences. Psychedelic oh, experiences are interesting. Okay. You're not hurting anybody. It's fine. Yeah, I'm not hurting yeah. anybody. Yeah, I'm with you. Why you gotta fuck with me, fool? It's funny. Funny for you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. Full but stop. I'll, yes. Right. But you could also have empathy for the person having the experience, empathy, or not empathy for the person doing masculine, or not. Or not. What do you? Yeah. yeah. You, it's I, so I, funny I, how I love you. Like I had to have a talk with this guy. Was like, oh, get fucking lost. You know what? There are therapy. There's a lot of therapeutic value to psychedelics. There really are. I, I'm sure. Like I, I, I want to do. I want to yeah. do a guided trip uh, again, or at some point. I haven't done it like with a with a psychiatrist. I'd love to do that sometime, just to. Cause it opens you up to explore things that maybe you wouldn't be comfortable sure. doing and you can, you know, have a lot of benefit from that, but not if you're having someone who's fucking with you the entire time. So, uh, so it was really over at one point we went to the dining hall and Phil Philbrook was a dining hall that we went to. It's on UNH campus. It's still there. And, um, Philbrook has got like three spokes. So there's like, you know, the different, there's like the red area, the blue area and the green, we'd always go to the green area. I don't know why, but that was just where we went with the dorm. And there's fluorescent lights and a lot of people and the hustle. And it was, it, it, it was extremely overwhelming. Um, lasted for maybe eight or 10 hours, but I wasn't really back until the next morning. Uh, but that was, yeah. So that, that, that my very intense experience with, uh, with mescaline. I call that story junkie Matt in the glee door. <laughs> That's not bad. Junkie Matt. <laughs> like, uh, not like I'm shooting up mescaline. Okay. I've never done a sense though. And I, never done a sense? no, I don't know that I, no, I, I would do, I'd like to do psilocybin. You know, I microdose. Right. I currently microdose. Yes. So I, you microdosing is a, is a using a, um, it's LSD is what I use, but in a very, like if, if the, if the main dose is a hundred percent, then I use, you know, 5%. So it's imperceptible, but it is perceptible, but at a very, very small degree. Um, but I do, I am interested. I'm a little, I'm afraid of it, but I want to do a full dose uh, you, with psilocybin with a guided, like a guided trip sometime. Do you think you're the more normal one in this show? Or do you think I'm the more normal one? Seriously. I'm definitely the more integrated one and in touch with the different parts of my like being. You are a little bit more closed off. I think you're bitchier than I am though. 
Like, I'm so nice to you. You come in and you're all bitchy. I come up with all these great ideas and you, you shoot them down. <laughs> yeah, great. The Only because you're bitchy. Uh, I don't but, know. But do you think, because you, you sound, I you think sound I'm, like a crazy person. I know, but I think I'm more open to talking about stuff that maybe other people aren't open to oh, talking no, about. No, no, keep doing it. No, I enjoy it. <laughs> I enjoy the crazy, crazy mad stories. But uh, I don't think I'm you crazy. Do, I don't think like, doing mescaline in your dorm is crazy, but like, Microdosing now is kind of is is people. Well, uh, I'm not saying it's crazy. Like if it works for you, go for it. People who are odd. People who are really messed up and haven't had people who are really severely depressed and have had no like no relief whatsoever and been on psychotropic psychotropic drugs. Drugs are really tough on you, and they can lead you into a really bad bad place. And there's you know a lot of side effects, weight gain or sluggishness or whatever. People who have been on their like sort of the end of their rope have microdosed and and really experienced you know, sort of a new beginning because of I'm it. I'm sure it's great for them, but your average, I just wonder what the average listener is like. It's like, that's, that's just because crazier than Chris. I just, think just because it's different doesn't mean it's crazy. Just because a lot of people don't doesn't talk. I, I'm a searcher. Like I, I am looking for, I'm like looking for stuff to better my world or to be a better person, be a better husband. You know, I'm, I'm on the lookout for that shit. And so it leads me down some paths. <laughs> man, I get so mad because we're taping I'm this. On, we're taping this on Sunday mornings, and I, I come in. I'm just, I'm just tired in the morning. I'm just like not a morning. Pr- anything AM, I'm like, I'm, oh. not, I'm not really about. On air, Chris like, is so different than than when he first walks Matt's in. That's like so annoyed. I'm, I'm not like, annoyed. Just no, like, I'm just wondering like, if you're okay, wrong, buddy. I'm like, it's fucking the morning. That's what's wrong. It's, it's fucking the sun had come out fairly recently. I'm, I'm annoyed. But I'm not annoyed at that. I'm, I'm empath. I'm, I have empathy for you. <laughs> I thought we were friends. <laughs> we are. I, then you should understand. I just don't like, I just, some I days do I'm underst- grumpy. I'm, I'm, you know I can though? be grumpy. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay. And I don't mind you being grumpy, but you shouldn't mind me asking you about it because I give oh, a you shit. you can ask me. Because I give a shit, dude. That's why I ask. That's very nice. You don't, you don't, I'm okay. It just, every, every morning <laughs> I'm be grumpy. It doesn't matter what you say. Okay, good. All right. Headlines. Yep. Uh, this is our longest show. Um, January 5th, uh, Sonny Bono died. In no. a skiing accident. This remember? Oh, that's right. I yeah, can't that long ago. He was sixty-two. Fuck. Um, so this was a week after. Remember? Uh, yes. William Kennedy Smith died. Yes. And that was the guy that like fucked his nanny. Remember the girl, the blue dot. Um, this is not where I thought you were going, but now I get it. Yes. Uh, he had died in a skiing accident a week earlier, and then uh, Sonny Moore dies like a, you know five days later because he died on New Year's Eve. I remember, like, I remember, I have vivid memories of Cher like talking about him being broken up and like, yeah. So a weird thing here about it. So Mary Bono is, was his wife. Okay. Yeah. So Mary Bono said that Sonny was addicted to Vicodin and Valium at the time of the accident. And that mm. may have played a factor, but get this. They did an autopsy. He had no drugs or alcohol in his system. I, it's hard to know who to believe in that. I mean, I tend to believe the what unless, um, unless she was trying to get something out of it, which I don't know. So at the time, Sonny Bono was a congressman. So oh, that's Jesus Christ. I forgot was about there that. Any sort of like cover up could have been. So, uh, I have a hard time trusting any, like I trust nobody in these uh, scenarios. So at the time, Sonny Bono was a two-time congressman. He had just won his, uh, oh, sorry, not just one, but he's in the middle, right smack in the middle of his second term uh, at the time of his death. His wife, Mary, took his seat and then she went up being reelected six times. She that's, was a seven-time congressperson. That's fucking crazy. I forget you could do that. You can sort of, right. Because, uh, you know, terms are in Congress for only two years. So yeah. You, you, but still, it's, it's not wild. That's a huge run. Um. But yeah. so then you'd think she'd want to cover up the other way and not say that he was. That's what I her. mean. Like, like how, like she, oh, you think you'd want to do she's that like almost like airing his dirty laundry and she literally didn't need to because they found nothing there. But so he was skiing with his family. Um, it wasn't like it was six 30 at night. So it was maybe that dusk and maybe that's what got sure. him. He did. He skied into a tree. It was, I'm sorry. This is in like 
uh, Lake Tahoe area in California. Yeah, was he California a, side? Was he in Nevada? Um, do you remember as a congressperson, or was he oh, in California. California? He was okay. Uh, and he was um, he uh, was with his family. I think his two two of his kids and his wife. Mary, obviously. And then he's like, oh, I'll, I'm going to take a harder trail. I'll meet you down at the bottom of the hill. Oh. And he never came. And they found him. Obviously, he had uh, run off the trails a bit and ran it into a tree and, and probably died instantly. Um, but yeah, he's only 62. But what a career. I mean, this guy, you know, Sonny and Cher, obviously, was a huge music act. And maybe if you're younger, you don't know, but he had a they had a TV show, Sunny and Sarah Variety Hour, they which did. was a pretty successful show for a while. Um, he, he, you know, so in the 70s, he's kind of on TV a lot. 80s, he kind of vanishes from public view, more yep. or less. Not vanishes, but he's not as as relevant. Sure. Then in the 90s, he becomes a... He ends up... he Him and his wife, Mary, bought an Italian restaurant in Palm Beach, California. Mm. And they wanted to put up a sign. And they found so much red tape with this fucking oh, sign. Jesus, yeah. And he's like, fuck this. I'm going to become mayor of the town. I'm just tired of dealing with this. I'm going to... Yeah. So he becomes mayor of Palm Beach, and he wins. He, yeah. he wins, And he uh, has two terms there. And uh, he's like, this is really interesting. He ends up becoming a congressperson. So uh, he was uh, most known, I guess they had like a copyright. Um, he was very involved in copyright mm. law. And actually it was starting to get passed. And Mary is the one that kind of got it to the finish line. Interesting. And he also counseled Newt Gingrich when Newt Gingrich was having some problems in 95. On, like he'd become like a, Newt Gingrich became like an overnight celebrity. He did, yeah. Because he was Speaker of the speaker House, of the House right? yep. And he became like a, you know, in him and Bill Clinton, these battles, and Newt was just like, I'm getting attacked from all corners. This is wild. And Sonny's like, you got to understand, you're not a politician anymore. You're a celebrity. Exactly. And there's different rules for celebrity. And Sonny was trying to explain to Newt how a celebrity is different. One last note about Sonny Bono. He was the uh, only, I believe, member of Congress to ever have a number one uh, song. song. Beat goes on. Yeah. He was also, um, he did a lot with his talent level. Like he is not a good oh, yeah. musician oh, he, or singer. Oh, yes. And he did, he did a lot. He like definitely swung above his, uh, incredibly smart. Area. He, yeah. you know, he kind of discovered chair. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah. and he obviously had the intellect to, you know, be a Congress person. I know obviously a lot of it was based on his fame. I predicate on that. I get that. Sure. But I mean, you, you, he's no, he's no dummy. As far as celebrities go, he's easily in that, that top, top tier as far as yeah. intellect. Yeah. Cause just like you said, he's swung way above his weight class. Yeah. And I mean, he's like, Listen, listen to you know listen yeah listen to, his to, song. Listen to their song he's so not nasally, he yeah, can't sing he's not uh and he's not like he's a great musician he's not no, proficient on he's not anything so like uh so to turn basically talent that any average joe has he's not handsome no that nothing he's shorter than Cher. yes he's like yeah he's not tall so he's not handsome he's not talented into a 40-year career where you're a a, a, a you know a congressman. Yeah. You're a, you have a number one record. You are a TV star. He did a lot. That is incredible. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Uh, so really interesting, a really odd American life for, for Sonny Bono. Um, oh my God. So my, uh, I'm going to get it back. So my notes app has been like, crashing more and more. Do you okay, think that's more um, user error or, uh, no, or do, it's not, okay. it's not, not, hmm. not everything I do is user error, Matt, Matt, Matt. So anytime something goes wrong technically with Matt, Matt uh, is, it's immediately the program. Anything goes wrong on my end, it's, it's my fault. Uh, January 8th, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Ramzi Youssef was sentenced to life in prison for his role in the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. Yeah. He is still alive and he's in the same cell block in Colorado with, ready for this, Terry Nichols, uh, Oklahoma City guy. Yeah. Uh, Eric Rudolph, uh, the Atlanta bombing. Oh, right. The Atlanta Olympics and Ted Kaczynski. They're all in the same. Jesus Christ. They're all in the same thing. Uh, this guy. Because uh, Ted's on death row though, isn't he? I think they're all in some sort of like. Well, it's Supermax, but I thought yeah. he was, I thought Kaczynski was on death row. I think uh, Ram, Ramsey was sentenced to life. I guess he didn't get death, yeah. um, but um, they're all still alive. Um, and uh, his life 
was it wasn't just the World Trade Center bombing. This guy also went on a plane for those school from Manila to Japan. He went on before the flight took off. Yeah. And he kind of bounced around from seat to seat. Stewardess saw it, didn't make any mention, didn't notify anybody. And he he uh he then was all he got off the plane. Then this then people got on the plane, took off, and then halfway to where they're going, um, this poor guy who was sitting in this seat, he this Rams used to put a bomb under his seat. Yeah. The bomb exploded. It ripped this poor Japanese man in half. <sighs> and but luckily the bomb, though, I guess luckily for everybody else, he he absorbed it. He absorbed uh, the Fuck. majority of the bomb, so it did cause damage to the plane and did cause some other injuries. But they were able to land this plane. Yeah. Um. Imagine this pilot. Like Jesus. that's crazy. And then they still didn't get this guy. He ended up. Uh. They knew that he was in Manila. This is where he was kind of out of. Right. And um. They were tracking, and he ended up going to Pakistan and was involved in another terrorist activity. Um. And one of his guys ratted him out. And they wow. gave that guy $2 million, like his like partner in crime here. And I, I don't know if they gave him immunity too. I mean, you have and, to. And, uh, and then they, they found out where he was in Pakistan, but he had basically committed the world trade center bombing, blew up, tried to blow up this plane, blew this poor Japanese man up, did something else. I forget what it was now. And then he, and then, and then he was getting away. He's Fuck. like a criminal mastermind. He just trusted the wrong guy. Fuck that guy. Really interesting, right? Yeah. I hope he rocks. And he had some interactions too with the, the shoe bomber. I remember before yeah. the shoe bomber became the shoe bomber. Like he was involved. So I'm sure this guy would have played some oh, hand in nine 11. Could have. Yeah. Like he was definitely involved with all that, that activity. Yeah. Shoe bomber was post nine 11. Right. So that was, uh, yes. maybe, but not that far. It was early, early it was pretty, pretty soon after, but yeah. I guess this guy was already getting his Fucking, training wheels yeah. on with terrorism. Uh, and there was also a major ice storm this week. Uh, hit, but we're going to talk about that next week. Cause that is directly involved in my personal story. So my personal story for the next episode is directly. I know exactly where I was during this week. I remember this ice storm too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, everything was slick at, uh, at UNH. Like there was no, like you, that would happen in ice storm. Yes. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else we need to talk about? Uh, we're back on Saturday with Titanic and uh, Brian Wilson. Uh, the song by uh, bare, bare naked, naked ladies. ladies. Oh yes. And uh, thank you to our patrons. And if you want extra content, we do an extra show a week. Um, you just have to sign up for $5 level per month uh, on our Patreon. And I think you get uh, access to our backlog stuff, which right now we have Rocky 3 out there and Outbreaks. You get two shows right off the bat when you sign up. Yep. Thanks. Thanks.